Section 7 of The Adventures of Gerard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. How the Brigadier Slew the Fox. In all the great hosts of France, there was only one officer toward whom the English of Wellington's army retained a deep, steady, and unchangeable hatred. There were plunderers among the French and men of violence, gamblers, duelists, and roues. All these could be forgiven, for others of their kidney were to be found among the ranks of the English. But one officer of Massena's force had committed a crime which was unspeakable, unheard of, abominable, only to be alluded to with curses late in the evening when a second bottle had loosened the tongues of men. The news of it was carried back to England, and country gentlemen, who knew little of the details of the war, grew crimson with passion when they heard of it, and yeomen of the shires raised freckled fists to heaven and swore. And yet who should be the doer of this dreadful deed but our friend the brigadier, Etienne Gerard of the Hussars of Conflans, gay-riding, plume-tossing, debonair, the darling of the ladies and of the six brigades of light cavalry. But the strange part of it is that this gallant gentleman did this hateful thing, and made himself the most unpopular man in the peninsula, without ever knowing that he had done a crime for which there is hardly a name amid all the resources of our language. He died of old age, and never once in that imperturbable self-confidence which adorned or disfigured his character, knew that so many thousand Englishmen would gladly have hanged him with their own hands. On the contrary, he numbered this adventure among those other exploits which he has given to the world, and many a time he chuckled and hugged himself as he narrated it to the eager circle who gathered round him, in that humble café where, between his dinner and his dominoes, he would tell, amid tears and laughter, of that inconceivable Napoleonic past when France, like an angel of wrath, rose up, splendid and terrible, before a cowering continent. Let us listen to him, as he tells the story in his own way, and from his own point of view. "'You must know, my friends,' said he, "'that it was toward the end of the year 1810 "'that I and Messina and the others pushed Wellington backward "'until we had hoped to drive him and his army into the Tagus. "'But when we were still twenty-five miles from Lisbon, "'we found that we were betrayed.' For what had this Englishman done but build an enormous line of works and forts at a place called Torre Vedras, so that even we were unable to get through them? They lay across the whole peninsula, and our army was so far from home that we did not dare to risk a reverse, and we had already learned at Busaco that it was no child's play to fight against these people. What could we do then but sit down in front of these lines and blockade them to the best of our power? There we remained for six months, amid such anxieties that Massena said afterward that he had not one hair which was not white upon his body. For my own part I did not worry much about our situation, but I looked after our horses, who were in much need of rest and green fodder. For the rest we drank the wine of the country and passed the time as best we might. There was a lady at saint but my lips are sealed. It is the part of a gallant man to say nothing, though he may indicate that he could say a great deal. One day Massena sent for me, 
and I found him in his tent with a great plan pinned upon the table. He looked at me in silence, with that single piercing eye of his, and I felt by his expression that the matter was serious. He was nervous and ill at ease, but my bearing seemed to reassure him. It is good to be in contact with brave men. "'Colonel Etienne Gerard,' said he, "'I have always heard that you are a very gallant and enterprising officer.' It was not for me to confirm such a report, and yet it would be folly to deny it, so I clinked my spurs together and saluted. "'You are also an excellent rider?' I admitted it. And the best swordsman in the six brigades of light cavalry? Messina was famous for the accuracy of his information. Now, said he, if you will look at this plan, you will have no difficulty in understanding what it is that I wish you to do. These are the lines of Torre Vedras. You will perceive that they cover a vast space and you will realize that the English can only hold a position here and there. Once through the lines you have twenty-five miles of open country which lie between them and Lisbon. It is very important to me to learn how Wellington's troops are distributed throughout that space, and it is my wish that you should go and ascertain. His words turned me cold. Sir, said I, it is impossible that a colonel of light cavalry should condescend to act as a spy. He laughed and clapped me on the shoulder. You would not be a hussar if you were not a hothead, said he. If you will listen, you will understand that I have not asked you to act as a spy. What do you think of that horse? He had conducted me to the opening of his tent, and there was a chasseur, who led up and down a most admirable creature. He was a dapple grey, not very tall, a little over fifteen hands, perhaps, but with a short head and splendid arch of the neck, which comes with the Arab blood. His shoulders and haunches were so muscular, and yet his legs so fine, that it thrilled me with joy just to gaze upon him. A fine horse or a beautiful woman, I cannot look at them unmoved, even now when seventy winters have chilled my blood, you can think how it was in the year ten. This, said Massina, is Voltiger, the swiftest horse in our army. What I desire is that you should start to-night, ride round the lines upon the flank, make your way across the enemy's rear, and return upon the other flank, bringing me news of his disposition. You will wear a uniform, and will, therefore, if captured, be safe from the death of a spy. It is probable that you will get through the lines unchallenged, for the posts are very scattered. Once through, in daylight you can outride anything which you meet, and if you keep off the road you may escape entirely unnoticed. If you have not reported yourself by tomorrow night, I will understand that you are taken, and I will offer them Colonel Petrie, in exchange. Ah, how my heart swelled with pride and joy as I sprang into the saddle and galloped this grand horse up and down to show the marshal the mastery which I had of him. He was magnificent. We were both magnificent, for Massina clapped his hands and cried out in his delight. 
It was not I, but he, who said that a gallant beast deserves a gallant rider. Then, when for the third time, with my panache flying and my dolman streaming behind me, I thundered past him, I saw upon his hard old face that he had no longer any doubt that he had chosen the man for his purpose. I drew my sabre, raised the hilt to my lips in salute, and galloped on to my own quarters. Already the news had spread that I had been chosen for a mission, and my little rascals came swarming out of their tents to cheer me. Ah, it brings the tears to my old eyes when I think how proud they were of their colonel. And I was proud of them also. They deserved a dashing leader. The night promised to be a stormy one, which was very much to my liking. It was my desire to keep my departure most secret, for it was evident that if the English heard that I had been detached from the army, they would naturally conclude that something important was about to happen. My horse was taken, therefore, beyond the picket line, as if for watering, and I followed and mounted him there. I had a map, a compass, and a paper of instructions from the marshal, and with these in the bosom of my tunic and my sabre at my side I set out upon my adventure. A thin rain was falling, and there was no moon, so you may imagine that it was not very cheerful. But my heart was light at the thought of the honour which had been done me, and the glory which awaited me. This exploit should be one more in that brilliant series which was to change my sabre into a baton. Ah, how we dreamed, we foolish fellows, young and drunk with success! Could I have foreseen that night as I rode, the chosen man of sixty thousand, that I should spend my life planting cabbages on a hundred francs a month? Oh, my youth, my hopes, my comrades! But the wheel turns and never stops. Forgive me, my friends, for an old man has his weakness. My route, then, lay across the face of the high ground of Torre Vedras, then over a streamlet, past a farmhouse which had been burned down and was now only a landmark, then through a forest of young cork oaks, and so to the monastery of San Antonio, which marked the left of the English position. Here I turned south and rode quietly over the downs, for it was at this point that Massina thought that it would be most easy for me to find my way unobserved through the position. I went very slowly, for it was so dark that I could not see my hand in front of me. In such cases I leave my bridle loose, and let my horse pick its own way. Voltigeur went confidently forward, and I was very content to sit upon his back and to peer about me, avoiding every light. For three hours we advanced in this cautious way, until it seemed to me that I must have left all danger behind me. I then pushed on more briskly, for I wished to be in the rear of the whole army by daybreak. There are many vineyards in these parts, which in winter become open plains, and a horseman finds few difficulties in his way. But Messina had underrated the cunning of these English, for it appears that there was not one line of defence, but three and it was the third which was the most formidable, through which I was at that instant passing. As I rode, elated at my own success, a lantern flashed suddenly before me, and I saw the glint of polished gun-barrels, and the gleam of a red coat. "'Who goes there?' cried a voice. Such a voice! I swerved to the right and rode like a madman, but a dozen squirts of fire came out of the darkness, 
and the bullets whizzed all round my ears. That was no new sound to me, my friends, though I will not talk like a foolish conscript and say that I have ever liked it. But at least it had never kept me from thinking clearly, and so I knew that there was nothing for it but to gallop hard and try my luck elsewhere. I rode round the English picket, and then, as I heard nothing more of them, I concluded rightly that I had at last come through their defences. For five miles I rode south, striking a tinder from time to time to look at my pocket compass, and then, in an instant, I feel the pang once more as my memory brings back the moment. My horse, without a sob or staggers, fell stone dead beneath me. I had never known it, but one of the bullets from that infernal picket had passed through his body. The gallant creature had never winced nor weakened, but had gone while life was in him. One instant I was secure on the swiftest, most graceful horse in Messina's army. The next he lay upon his side, worth only the price of his hide, and I stood there, that most helpless, most ungainly of creatures, a dismounted hussar. What could I do with my boots, my spurs, my trailing sabre? I was far inside the enemy's lines. How could I hope to get back again? I am not ashamed to say that I, Etienne Gerard, sat upon my dead horse and sank my face in my hands in my despair. Already the first streaks were whitened in the east. In half an hour it would be light. That I should have won my way past every obstacle, and then at this last instant be left at the mercy of my enemies, my mission ruined, and myself a prisoner, was it not enough to break a soldier's heart? But courage, my friends, we have these moments of weakness, the bravest of us, but I have a spirit like a slip of steel, for the more you bend it, the higher it springs. One spasm of despair, and then a brain of ice and a heart of fire. All was not yet lost. I, who had come through so many hazards, would come through this one also. I rose from my horse and considered what had best be done. And first of all it was certain that I could not get back. Long before I could pass the lines it would be broad daylight. I must hide myself for the day, and then devote the next night to my escape. I took the saddle, holsters and bridle from Paul Voltigeur, and I concealed them among some bushes, so that no one finding him could know that he was a French horse. Then, leaving him lying there, I wandered on in search of some place where I might be safe for the day. In every direction I could see campfires upon the sides of the hills, and already figures had begun to move around them. I must hide quickly or I was lost. But where was I to hide? It was a vineyard in which I found myself, the poles of the vines still standing, but the plants gone. There was no cover there. Besides, I should want some food and water before another night had come. I hurried wildly onward through the waning darkness, trusting that chance would be my friend. And I was not disappointed. Chance is a woman, my friends, and she has her eye always upon a gallant hussar. Well then, as I stumbled through the vineyard, something loomed in front of me, and I came upon a great square house with another long, low building upon one side of it. Three roads met there, and it was easy to see that this was the posada, or wine-shop. There was no light in the windows, and everything was dark and silent, but of course I knew that such comfortable quarters were certainly occupied, 
and probably by someone of importance. I have learned, however, that the nearer the danger may really be the safer place, and so I was by no means inclined to trust myself away from this shelter. The low building was evidently the stable, and into this I crept, for the door was unlatched. The place was full of bullocks and sheep, gathered there no doubt to be out of the clutches of marauders. A ladder led to a loft, and up this I climbed and concealed myself very snugly among some bales of hay upon the top. This loft had a small open window, and I was able to look down upon the front of the inn and also upon the road. There I crouched and waited to see what would happen. End of section 7